Hello and welcome to In Lockdown With, a podcast where I, playwright Kieran Fitzgerald, chats to emerging, established and experienced artists in the fields of theatre, film, television, dance and drama, from Wales and beyond, to find out more about their careers and to see how they've been coping during the coronavirus pandemic. Expect laughs, gossip, and an insight into the careers of some of Wales's best-known creatives. If you enjoy this podcast, please like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thank you. Hello and welcome to this episode of In Lockdown With, with me, Kieran Fitzgerald. Today my guest is Paul Jenkins. Hi Paul, how are you doing? Hello Kieran, I'm okay. I'm just about recovered from uh, the lovely um, COVID-19. Thank you. Uh, and you're, you're doing okay after having it? Uh, yeah, it's slightly weird, but I think for some people it, it hangs on quite a while. So, yeah, for us, I, we're just past week nine, and God. it's just about gone. There's just some sort of weird little um, leftovers there. Lingering things. God, that must have been scary. But I'm really glad that you've given up some of your time to do this today. Uh, what I want to start with, really is how did you get interested in theatre in the first place? Uh, yeah, it's a good question. Um, uh, interestingly, actually, I, my sort of background, my, you know, my, my family uh, weren't into the arts at all, or, or, or theatre at all, really. Um, my, dad, my dad was a scientist, um, and my mum, uh, she ran an antique shop um, of her own, and... Um, and it was quite strange, I suppose, you know, uh, art and particularly theatre were, were, were just not a thing in, in our house. So um, it was it started as being quite an alien uh, thing for me. And um, in school, I went to a comp. And um, I mean, to be honest, like the only drama that we did in school, I think, you know, it, it was... Um, it was a requirement to do some Shakespeare for, for English, so we did that. Right. It was just that, as far as I was concerned, it was an opportunity to mess around. Yeah. Um, um, and, and that was a shame, really, you know, because I, I, think, I, think I, I think I enjoyed it, but there was also that kind of, um, uh, I don't know, teenage self-consciousness. About, yeah. You know, so I didn't really have a... I didn't really have a, a very positive experience of, of, of theatre until um, until I went away to uni. So when did you kind of get into thinking, oh, this is actually what I want to do? Um, I, somehow I ended up in the University Drama Society, which was Cardiff Uni. Um, I, was, I was actually studying physiology. Right. I was, I was, trying, I was trying to go to medical school. Um, totally messed up my A-levels, so couldn't get into medical school. So I ended up doing a physiology degree. I think I just wanted to like get away and get out of it. So I was studying this, this science degree and I wasn't really interested 
in it that much, I suppose. And then somehow I just sort of started to, I think I saw a couple of plays by Act One, the Drama Society, which is still going now. Um, and, um, and that sort of really excited, I think that excited me. I think I was really excited by, again, because I've probably been sort of starved of, of art and stuff like that, mm. and, you know, until I was 18, 19 years old. So that was, it felt like really new territory to me and, yeah. you know, for, for sort of ideas and people and humanity to be explored in 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 this sort of living form was um, was really intriguing yeah and, and were your parents supportive because of the way you kind of outlined it there they were quite were they quite academic were they quite achieving and were they supportive of you wanting to go into the theater as a career i think so yeah i mean they certainly didn't this, it certainly didn't discourage me. I think all it all it was because of because of the jobs that they had, um, and um, you know they they both come from the valleys as well of, of, of Wales. They grew up in Aberdare, and then my dad got a job uh, in, in in England. So I sort of, I spent a lot of my life uh, in in England, but it was just that thing of you know, and again you know no no. no no fault of anybody's else, but 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 our art just wasn't wasn't valid yeah, yeah, yeah. in the same way science was. So I suppose in a, in a strange way, um, we, you know, a lot of the time we we, we kind of have to make sort of acts of rebellion, don't we, to kind of claim our claim our independence. I suppose moving away from the science in, into art was kind kind of. Violent, yeah, but also kind of something. It was also completely new territory, and and I found found it a really sort of satisfying mm. mode of exploration compared with you know I've been doing chemistry and biology and math, which is very kind of straightforward and very kind of based on facts. So and there's a kind yeah. of looseness with the arts, I guess, and um. You went to the Weber Douglas Academy and then uh, Goldsmiths College in the University of London. What was your uni experience like? Um, you know, how do you feel that it's kind of... Did it prepare you for a career out in the arts outside of university? Um, I had two very different experiences in those two different institutions. So after um, I did a year at Cardiff Uni uh, doing physiology, then I dropped out because I was like, "Look, this isn't this just isn't right. what I'm interested in." And you know, I'd act, I'd acted in a few shows with the Drama Society and just just loved it. Really, just loved the loved the, that sort of sense of kind of expressive creativity. I suppose really um and i just loved it loved the experience loved the the collaboration loved sharing ideas loved sharing experiences so so yeah that was probably when i made up my mind to to, to train at that drama school and um, went away to weber douglas in the the 90s um and i to be honest i, I had quite a difficult time there it wasn't it wasn't really quite what i expected um, I think there's 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, you know, I've got no idea what drama training is like now, but, but back then it, it was pretty conservative. Right. And, you know, there was a lot of focus on um, the sort of speech and voice, and they you know, had RP, you had classes in RP. Really? You know, they, yeah, they were trying to stamp out people's kind of regional accents. Not stamp out, but say, look, you've got to learn this to get a job mm. in, in, in professional theatre. And then, you know, we did a lot of sort of stuffy, I don't know, 19th, 20th century plays. And by the end of it, to be honest, um, I just, I'd, I'd lost, I didn't enjoy it. I didn't enjoy performing anymore. Um, so, although I think it was kind of preparing you for the industry and giving you the skills and the technique and the mindset, at the same time, I, I really kind of, I kind of lost touch with, with, with myself and my creative identity. Kind of fell out of love with it a bit, maybe? Yeah, totally, totally. Um, I mean, you know, the truth is, at the end of that three years, I, you know, I was, I was pretty much sort of clinically depressed, mm. really, because it just hadn't been what I expected, and the thing that I really valued and I loved and enjoyed had been, so had been turned yeah. into something really kind of monstrous. <laughs> and then you know, you, you graduate at the end of drama school, and th and then there's that, you know, you're desperate to get an agent desperate to get a job and you're, you're moving into the big beast that's known as the industry and I think I'd been taken on or allowed myself to go on such a journey away from myself and what I valued and what I enjoyed that you know I was no I was no longer no. capable of no. doing creating anything didn't have the motivation to do it after that experience yeah I mean I, and again, I don't, I don't know if that's to do with the the, the nature of, of of the industry, but but you know, only only the more sort of commercial elements of it, I, I suppose. I think yeah. it was just, I think it was just not the right place, place at the right time for for who I was and where I was. W were you writing at that point, or were you very much still kind of? Did you want to be just an actor? Yeah, I was totally focused on 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 acting and, and being an actor, and um, and you know, I think there's a there is always a danger as well. You get so fixated on ideas of success and failure, mm. you know, and and you expect to or you hope to come out of drama school and get a job at the RSC or you get an agent and then do some TV and all of this. And then, of course, when you don't, when that doesn't happen. And you're you're kind of waiting for an audition or waiting for a job to kind of to practice your creativity essentially. Then that's a very very difficult position to be in, especially if your training hasn't empowered you to to, to be in, in control yeah. of that and to take responsibility for it yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. How how did you first get interested in writing? Um, well, probably directly related to that experience. Um, so, you know, I, I, re I really felt as if I just kind of failed totally. You know, I'd, I'd gone to drama school and I'd kind of become a bit sort of detached um, from my creativity and I was struggling to get acting work and I think I was washing cars on a uh, garage forecourt back at my mum and dad's. Um, and it was almost a kind of a, it, it almost, 
not not an act of desperation, but I suppose an act of reclaiming um, some creative control and creative identity. Yeah. And of course, the joy of you know the joy of writing is you don't you don't need anybody to kind of give you a job to, to do that. You just you just open your laptop and and create you create you engage in yeah, your imagination and your creativity. Um, so that was a real. Yeah, that kind of saved me. I think writing sort 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 of saved um, um, yeah that at that, that point in my development as as an artist and my and my career. Was um, it something you'd kind of always done since you were like in school, or was it kind of a new discovery for you? Yeah. Oh, I think it was a bit. I think I was. I think I used to write like bad bad poems <laughs> yeah. and stuff. You know, sort of. Yeah. I, I enjoyed. I think I kept a sort of a, a diary, which I would, which I would hate to read now. And and again, because I think again, because you know, because I hadn't, because I hadn't sort of had much experience of expressing myself creatively. I, I suppose it was, um, it was a little bit sort of, um, it was a little bit under the covers. Do you know what I mean? It was yeah. Bit, it was all a little bit off. And I had no, I had no idea what I was doing, but then you know I'd started to read plays and I started to read you know novels and, and literature, and again I was really excited by just these possibilities of, of expression and, mm. and, and ideas and you know philosophy probably as well. You yeah, know? yeah. So I was interested in exploring these ideas and possibilities through through language. Um, whether that's written language or, or, or performed language, right. I guess. But but not necessarily in that kind of defined structure of a play, but like the com the combination between, from what I think you're telling me, like the combination between spoken language and like physical language. But for you, it wasn't necessarily writing a play in the traditional sense that we would think yeah i think i was probably a little, i mean i had like anybody starting out you know i had no idea how to to write a, a play but then you know i guess you know from from acting or our experience of going mm -hmm. to the theater or being involved in theater then you know that that the, there's there's that kind of um there's that arc, those archetypal shapes, I think, those yeah. structures are kind of, kind of within us. And I suppose part of it, on a really basic level, is ah, oh, dialogue. Oh, okay, so a play's a play's yeah. dialogue. How does that work? How do you write? <laughs> how do you write dialogue? Um, and of course, it's a lot. It's a, I think it's a lot easier than you think it's gonna be. But at the same I think level, a lot of people like overthink it and like. Yeah. But you just need to listen. I think. That's a way to kind of learn, you can't learn to write dialogue, but that's a way to kind of develop the dialogue that you write, it's just by listening to what's around you and the way people talk and the, and the different ways that people communicate. Yeah, you're, you're, you're right actually, because then once you start, yeah, those all of those mm. those overheard conversations, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, isn't it? Your ear becomes quite attuned, yeah, to, to the, all the to the exchanges and the little dramas taking place uh, around us yeah. every single day. What's your process when you're working a piece? 
Um, I think it's changed. I think it's changed a lot over the over the years. I think when I first started out, it would just be a question of locking myself in my bedroom for 24, 48 hours and not sleeping and burning myself out and feeling awful, <laughs> feeling awful at the end yeah. of having a script or whatever that was. Um, but then I think in terms of in terms of a creative process. Tends, I think, I think I've given, I've given that kind of structure, trying to structure that or control that as much. Um, so now, if if I'm writing a, a project, what it basically comes down to is is the discipline of just making sure that I arrive at my desk and I do the the, the amounts that I said that I was going to do. I think it's really important, you know, particularly if, if particularly if you haven't got a commission or you're not getting paid, you've got a ring fence that that time. Because if you don't yeah. make that appointment with yourself and with your creativity and with with you know the, the blank page in front of you, nothing gets done. So you know it's for me it's as simple as just making making sure that that I sit there at the desk and do you know whether it's two hours or four hours or even twenty minutes you know can yeah. be enough sometimes. Making sure that I do that and I commit to it. Getting into a routine, as if it's a proper job. You know, like going to work in the morning, clocking in and clocking off. And, you know, I think that's really important for me anyway. Um, and do you do, do, for you, do you do you do the same? Is that is that a sort of priority or is there other stuff? That... I, I try and write something every day, like, regardless of what the quality is. I think consistency is really important, like, the amount you're writing. Um, as long as you're working something and keeping going, I think that's the most important thing. Otherwise, if you're off it for a few days, it's very difficult to pick it back up, I find. It's just getting into that routine of treating it like a job. Well, it is a job, but you know what I mean? Treating it like having these patterns of when you write, for me, is really important. Um, well, how, I want to talk to you about, you've experienced quite a bit of Eastern European theatre, and what do you think that British or Welsh theatre can learn from Eastern European theatre? Um, yeah, I, I was very lucky actually in the sense that, um, after, um, uh, I did an, I did an, that was it. I did an I did an MA at Goldsmiths in writing for performance, which was sort of uh, I guess it's sort of an updated version of a of a playwriting MA. But you know, uh, I think they were they were a bit more kind of broad minded in terms of what what writing might be mean mm. in in a, in a contemporary context. Um, so part of that training was was obviously to to write a play. Um, so I wrote a play uh, during that called Natural Selection, um, and um, I thought it was awful. I was really, I was really, I was deeply ashamed. I was deeply ashamed of what I'd written over the course of this this MA that had cost me a lot of money. And I remember like sticking it in a drawer and going, right, right. I have no idea what to do with that. I'm just going to leave it in the drawer. And I left it there for six months, and then I sort of 
got it out saying, oh, God, what am I going to do with this play that I wrote? Um, and I read it, so I tweeted it, and I was like, oh, it's not, it's not so bad, it's, it's mm. not too bad. So I sent it into a playwriting competition. Um, it won the playwriting competition, right. uh, King's Cross New Writing Awards, um, and it just so happens that there was a, a German dramaturg who was on the selection panel. Um, I'm heading east now, I'm heading east towards East okay. Europe. We've got to go to Germany first. Cool. Um, so he, was, he, he, he said, look, I'd love to put this in. Uh, there's a big theatre festival in Berlin called the Theatertreffen, um, where they have a sort of a new play uh, market. They call it a Stuckermarkt, new play market. Mm. Play went along, was went along, was selected for, for this German festival. And I'd never, you know, I hadn't seen any European theatre up to this point in time, just graduating from uh, college. Yeah. Um, um, so that was a, that was like my first step, I suppose, towards well into Europe, um, and maybe um, in a very general sense, uh, first sort of step away from conventional playwriting. Right. And by that I mean, obviously in in Germany, there's there's they have a very sort of they have a highly sort of theatricalized and conceptual. I guess um, um, uh, und understanding of, of, of theatre making, um, which which roughly translates as it roughly translates as it's it's a director led theatre. Now that can mean all kinds of things like being quite disrespectful to playwrights or or collaborating more or devising more. Yeah. But I think it, I think it just means that maybe there's there's a there's kind of a greater a bit more kind of fl fluidity there, or freedom, or kind of in interpretive mm. theatricalization beyond the text itself, and kind of using the text as a starting point as opposed to a, an end point, perhaps. Um, so I was really excited by by that um, because it seemed to be a little bit more anarchic, perhaps. Mm -hmm. um, so that that was a really interesting introduction to to what Europe had to offer, um, and then more recently I ended up um, in Bulgaria, of all places. Um, I think I'd had I had a, I had a commission to write a play for the Birmingham Rep. Um, I was living in London at the time, and uh, I had I don't know how much the commission was like three grand up front and then another three grand or whatever. I was in London and I thought, ah, oh, shit, this is, this is going to last me like a month or two if I stay here. So I thought, what I really need is a cheap European country <laughs> that I can go and write in. So I think I was a bit fed up. I was a bit fed up being here as well. Um, so I ended up in Bulgaria writing this commission. Um, and then, I, yeah, I discovered a, a, a laboratory theatre in Sofia. Yeah. Um, which uh, which was very directly um, influenced by Gutzkowski, and in fact, the the artistic the artistic director of the theatre was an assistant to uh, Gutzkowski, um, and I had never like this kind of theatre and Gutzkowski. I think I'd heard of Gutzkowski, and I'd seen like copies of um, the poor uh, towards a poor theatre hanging around and I was thinking, oh, poor theatre, well, I don't know, I'm poor enough as it is, actually, and there yeah. were pictures of men running around in pants, 
So it all seemed a little bit obscure and weird, and mm. I didn't really understand it or yeah. what it was about. Um, but going to see some of those performances and then later um, training with them uh, sort of really opened my eyes to to a very different um, approach. And and do you think do you think we could apply that in the UK more? Or is it kind of a very unique, kind of European thing that wouldn't work here because of the theatre ecology that we have in this country? Well, it's a really, it's a really interesting point for discussion, I think, because you know, um, during the se- during the seventies and early eighties, Wales, uh, Wales was really, really strongly connected to to European practice and European theatre. Um, you know, I think um, you know people like you know Petrovsky's troupe came to Cardiff, Cantor came to Cardiff. Wow. You know, these were like the leading uh, experimental practitioners of the seventies and eighties from East East Europe, um, and they influenced a lot of the work that was happening in Cardiff. I think there used to be a, uh, an international theatre festival in Swansea, of all places, <laughs> that had these really extraordinary sort of experimental um, happenings. Yeah. Um, so, so it's interesting that all of that was at the time all of that was bypassing London. That was coming direct. Direct to, to Wales. Yeah. But I guess um, we had kind of a theatre and education tradition in Wales which was kind of bordering on experimental theatre like that. So at that point it wasn't too much of a stretch. Whereas now that TIE ecology has been decimated, it might be more difficult for the Welsh theatre industry now to accept work like that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, it's a really... Well, it's it's inevitable. Well, now it's in, in, inevitably a, a more sort of challenging situation than ever, isn't it? And, mm. and we don't really know how that's. We don't really know how this is all gonna gonna play out. Um, but I think may, maybe the one maybe the one thing that I haven't understood, and the the one thing that sort of being working with this company in Bulgaria helped me to understand was. Um, you know, although although some of some of this is labelled as experimental, mm. actually it's not it's not experimental. It's sort it's sort of it's sort of returning to, to, to the roots of theatre. My limited understanding of theatre is kind of, kind of you know, um, it, it was only at a particular point in, in time that that, that theatre became sort of detached um, from from ritual. So, yeah. you know, we think of if we think of uh, any any given community, then theatre was the act of that community coming together to to share their stories. Um, but also, uh, there would be kind of ritual elements that would somehow kind of connect everybody. Perhaps not just through through narrative, but through uh, an, an 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 experience, um, not necessarily narratively. Based. Right. Um, I'm not sure that there's a direct link with, with that back to Bulgaria, but I think I, I was really I was really excited by the simplicity 
mm. and the sincerity of what I saw taking place in performance spaces. And I felt, I think for the, for the first time, it was my encounter with um, blatantly non-representational art and blatantly non-representational theatre. Right. And, and the goal, as far as I understood it, was very much not, not to put on the, the mask of character, but to remove the mask of persona, mm. the mask of character that we, we create yeah. ourselves in public situations. Um, so this was very much to do with a kind of a, a disarming, a disarming of, a disarming by the actor and by the performance in order to kind of disarm an audience as well. And that, that's a kind of a route to re-establishing a sense of uh, collectivity. That, that's really interesting. Because if we think about the roots of what theatre was, it, as you said, originally came from like religious and ritualistic kind of activities. And it's kind of going back to that in a way, which is really interesting. It's almost kind of primal and primitive, I guess. Um, not in it, I don't mean that in like a drug. I, you can't understand, I don't mean that in a derogatory way, but like boiling it down to the roots of what it actually is. I'm going to move on before I incriminate myself um, <laughs> or offend <laughs> Bulgarian people. <laughs> um, you've worked quite a lot with young people over the last few years with Nathalas and um, Theatre Yolo. Um, what do you enjoy about working with young actors and what did you find the differences were between the project with Nathan Ras and 2016 which you did with Theatre Yolo? Uh, yeah, so that was, um, it was lovely, uh, it was my first time working with Mess at the Mess and as proclaimed and uh, yeah, it was, it was uh, it's a, it's a fantastic um, theatre company um, and it was, you know, re really enjoyable actually to work. Uh, I think they were different in the sense, particularly different in the sense that when we started as Proclaims, which Gethin Evans was, was directing, obviously we're, we're, we're meeting a group of young people who, um, who have regular sessions. So, mm. you know, it's kind of uh, not kind of as kind of formal as, as a, a training but you know, obviously, you're kind of, you know, you're you're used to, you've developed a kind of an, an ensemble already in, in a way. Um, how would you put it? Because you've spent quite a long time in Mess at the Mess. What was your experience of um, of working with them? I guess what you say in terms of an ensemble developing, we all knew each other really well, and we knew the kind of work that we enjoyed and that we enjoyed creating. But I think the type of work was beginning to change as kind of people left and new people came in. And there was a different atmosphere developing. And I felt sometimes, in us proclaimed especially, which was kind of the last proper production I did with this and this, um, that there was a conflict in terms of what people wanted from that 
production. And I can imagine it being very difficult for you and Gess to manage that in terms of what you're being commissioned to do, what Sarah wanted and what we wanted as a company paired with your own artistic intentions and trying to balance all those plates and keep everyone happy. Because you can't keep everyone happy in that situation, can you? Definitely. De- well, no, but this is, this is the kind of, this is the crux of it, isn't it? Like, the, uh, this is a collaborative art form. And inevitably, you know, we all see, we, we, we all see things so differently and we all have, you know, I suppose, different, different motivations and different goals and different ideas. Yeah. We all know how difficult it is, you know, dealing, you know, just just create, rehearsing the scene and, and tr- sort of trying mm. to, uh, tr- I trying to value all, all of the possibilities and all of the ideas in the room. And inevitably there's, you know, there's differences of, of, of opinion and, and inevitably there's there's conflict. Um, and I guess that's, that's all part of the challenge, isn't it? How, mm. how we create process and an environment and a community where those those conflicts are kind are kind of held and, and managed mm. and, we, and we work through them especially work- when you're devising if there's a playwright who goes away and writes a play that's the play you can't say i don't like the scene if you're devising as a company you you each member of that company has got a shared level of ownership in that play so it's far more collaborative, but it's also far more difficult to mediate, I guess, and make sure that everyone's voice is shared equally, and then to ensure what product you have is still of a quality and a level that everyone in that company is happy with. Was it a similar thing on... 2016. Um, 2016 was was a little bit different in in that we um, myself and Tracy and Alexandra um, Tracy Harris and Alexandra Jones um, we we went into a gun lines to work with the welfare mm. so we sort of um, we recruited that group of, of, of young people ourselves so it was a new group. So in some respects, I think that's an, e- that's an easier starting point because everybody's on the same page. Yeah. For a lot of those young people, you know, it was a, diff- it was a new experience. It was different or certainly devising something together as a group. That was a new experience for them. Um, so in some respects, I think we didn't have, um, we didn't have the, 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 the weight of, of the expectations of what yeah. the project should be, or what the project is going to be, or what the project ended up being. Uh, and, the his, and the history of productions that wrestlers have done. You didn't have yeah. the weight of that writing on it. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh,
Um, in terms of working with young actors, with young people, what's the difference between that, do you think, and directing professional actors? Uh, well, the great thing about directing young people is they haven't had any training. So you don't have to worry about that getting in the way. Um, you know, it's, it's, a really, it's a really interesting thing. You know, obviously training is a great thing and can be really helpful. Um, it, it can also be a little bit tricky because what, what can happen is depending on what training you've had, everybody's using different techniques to, yeah. to work. So you, you can, you can, it can be, sometimes it, it can be easier working with people who, um, for want of a better word, who are, who are a, bit, a bit more naive and a bit more mm. sort of open to, you know, Sometimes not knowing is better than knowing, isn't it? Um, willing to like, learn and willing to try things out, I guess. Yeah, not being bound by the things that they've learnt in drama school or whatever. I, I get yeah, that. Um, it, you know, it's, 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 it's definitely a tricky balance because, you know, there's no question about it that there are skills and techniques that, that you know, we, we, we need to learn in order to... Um, to have a craft, mm. particularly in terms of, of you know developing a career as a craftsman, you know um, whether as an actor or writer, director, or whatever. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, if we come back to kind of the sim, what 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 is what is the, the essential element of, of theatre? We have space, we have people in the space, and somebody enters the space. Um, you know that's that's actually a, a helpful as simple as and banal as that sounds you know what what yeah. happens when what happens when you you bring the truest version of yourself into that space mm. and you meet another person in that space um you know and it's very we as human beings we we have the capacity to um to communicate and inter interact spontaneously and sincerely if, if we allow ourselves. And sometimes we, we seem to lose this sincerity spontaneousness that, that we innately have. Because I guess we, we build ourselves into routines and ways of doing things. And if they're not established, we are more likely to kind of play and explore. So I want to move on and I want to talk about... A project you start was it in twenty seventeen that you started? Or two? Uh, maybe twenty eighteen. Yeah, twenty eighteen. Twenty eighteen. I think it was the, yeah the end of twenty eighteen. Because it was Christmas time. For people who don't know, but December twenty eighteen, uh, a bank city painting appeared. On the side of a garage in Port Albert. Around um, the corner from your house. Yeah, no far away from me. So, like, how did you kind of first think this would be a great idea for, for a play? I, I can dramatise this. Well, I have to confess, it wasn't entirely my idea. So, um, I, I've been on the... Uh, I'd been on the JMK director's course at the Sherman, which is brilliant, 
Mm. Um, and Adele Thomas, who was, who was uh, leading that, um, she'd organised a trip down to London to go and see Summer and Smoke, um, directed by the fantastic Rebecca Fretnell. That show was amazing, um, and on the way, on way down in, in the car, I've always, you know, I've always, there's always been a place in my heart for, for, for Banksy, and yeah. um, I was so, I was so chuffed when, when it turned up in Portalba, and I was just, I was just really, ha- I was just happy for <laughs> Portalba. It was amazing, you know, to have that five minute away from where you live, it's so incredible. Yeah. And so, like, you know, so, like, like a lot of his work, but immediately so iconic and mm. so clever, you know, such, um, such an intelligent way to communicate an idea through, through art. Um, so we were in the car and I was like, oh, Adele, how's, um, how's, um, how's it Banksy? You know, how's it going? What's it like being with Albert with this, with this new thing? She's like, oh, yeah, it's great. I said, you know what, suddenly you should do a theatre project about that. <laughs> And she said that, and my head just kind of, I, I had this strange feeling in, in my skull, yeah. and my, my, I, fe- I felt my brain sort of expanding uh, through, through the car roof, and I was like, oh my god, yeah, you are so, like, I couldn't, I was really, really excited by, by the possibility, but she, obviously it was her suggestion, so, um, and you were like, I'm not going to let Adele Thomas get them for you. <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't stop. I just couldn't stop, stop thinking about yeah. it. Yeah. I just, I just thought, you know, an an, art, an artist of that, um, an artist of that of that level of that mm-hmm. prestige, with the message that the artwork it, itself had on the side of a steelworker's garage in Portalba, in the shadow of Tartar Steel, is so much there. It's just such a rich. Mm. Um, it's such such a rich cultural and social event and and that story i knew that story needed to be told so i rang her up the next morning and i said i said to her i said look adele do you do you mind <laughs> so I'm, I'm 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 about to jump in the car i want to drive up to to port Holbert and start talking to people and start recording yeah. interviews because because i just you know i want to more than anything else in the world and she was like no that's fine you carry on Oh, thank you, thank you for that. Quick, get up there, get your name on the project. <laughs> as quickly as possible. Thank you, Adele. And how's it going? What's the you at now with it? Oh, well, it's been well. It takes well, you know. As you know, these things, these things take a long time. Um, uh, I suppose I hadn't, I hadn't previously done a massive amount of verbatim. Um, 20, 2016, and as proclaimed, and we'd started to use elements of um, um, biographical material, verbatim material, um, but this sort of felt like it would be the first kind of uh, full-on verbatim, you know, lots, lots and lots of interviews, develop uh, an ongoing relationship with the community. Um, so that's been on, that's, you know, that's still going on. So at this point in time, we've got about... 80 hours wow. of audio material um so yeah um we're, we're going into a second r&d with um sherman theater right. which is perfect um, in every single way we've had mentorship from alaki blythe you know wow. we couldn't wish for for anybody better to be helping us with the project for those um, who don't know alaki blythe is like the leading um 
verbatim theatre practitioner in the UK, definitely, but maybe in the world. That, yeah, she's 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 just amazing, and she she did. She, um, I think she like one of one of her really big hits. I mean, she's done so much, but I think she she might be best known for London Road. Yeah, which was a verbatim musical uh, about the interview with the residents um, living next to the mur- the the Ipswich mur- murders. The yeah, who lived in cul-de-sac. Um, and yeah, and that felt really kind of groundbreaking in the way that it used verbatim interviews and testimony, but then really kind of elevated it and subverted it through the form of mm. it being a musical. Um, she was extraordinary, um, yeah, an extraordinary resource and inspiration for us working on the first um, RMD, and we're hoping that maybe she'll give us some support moving forwards as well. Um, but yeah, at this point in time, um, I'm, I'm ed- editing the audio material to take right. an audio draft uh, into the, the rehearsal room, hopefully in July. Well, hopefully, but uh, with the coronavirus, I guess, who knows? But I have feeling quite confident i'm thinking social distance we can we can do a socially distanced um r and I i feel quite quite comfortable with that with that idea well i hope you're right um the last thing i want to ask you is what advice would you give to someone who's just starting out in the industry yes it's a good question isn't it i think you know the truth is everybody's journey um, you know everybody's sort of journey through the industry and everybody's journey in terms of the journey that they go on with themselves and their own relationship with their creativity and creative output Um, I imagine that they're they're all very unique and very different so the advice that that I will end up giving is probably advice that I'm giving myself yeah that's fine Anybody else's, you know, uh, circumstances and challenges, um, I'm sure, will be very, very different. Um, I think certainly for for me, one of the biggest challenges I think has has been, in a way, sort of staying true to myself mm-hmm. and tr- and staying true to what to what excites me and inspires me. I think as a young, you know having just graduated or just starting out making stuff without graduation sometimes you feel you feel a very strong need to, um, for for kind of validation um, and you know we obviously we all want our first job and we all want our first paid job and we all yeah. want to have a great cv and get more and more and more work but you know sometimes the work sometimes the work that is on offer is not necessarily the work that that uh, excites us or inspires us or ultimately satisfies us creatively. So I think there can be a little bit of a tricky dance um, be- between the, you know, one's career um, and one's creative uh, desires and needs. Taking um, a job because uh, it's an industry job rather than taking that job because you you really want that job, maybe. Yeah, and and you know, and, you know so it, sometimes it, it can be entirely the 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 right thing to do. There's absolutely nothing wrong with trying stuff out, but I think the 
you know, try not, I suppose all I'm saying is try, try not to kind of betray your, yourself and, and your instincts mm. because, you know, if you don't, if you're not nourishing yourself um, through the work that, that you make, then, then you know, that your, the energy, your, your kind of creative libido will, will just <laughs> run out and you won't have it. And, you know, some, somehow that does kind of, I think if you, if you listen to yourself, you know, you really do kind of kind of tune into what what your what your needs are. I guess that goes beyond the work itself. You know, it's I suppose it's about making about looking after yourself yeah. really. Um, but you know, creatively as much as kind of obviously physically and emotionally and all of those things. So what what are your creative needs and how do you how do you maintain those needs and feed yourself and sustain yourself and become satisfied with what you're doing. And the path you're on, maybe even though you're not getting paid at the minute, or maybe if you haven't got a commission, like you were saying earlier, staying motivated is really difficult. And it's about maybe maintaining that, trying to maintain that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm in a really fortunate situation now well you know having i suppose ha having learned the hard way which we all you know we all do we all have to really don't we we mm. you know the, the truth is there's going to be you know the truth is there are so many rejection letters and <laughs> so many comments. but then you know if 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 you're lucky enough or perhaps brave enough to make sure that you're working on the projects that you really really love and you're working on yeah the projects that, that, that really um, that you really connect with and, and really mean something to you on a personal level I guess yeah. um, then then that you know that that kind of really that keeps you going and I'm in a really fortunate situation now where yeah I, I'll, I'll, I'll pretty much only only take take commit to the work that, that yeah. I know I'm, I'm, I'm going to do a good job at because I'm really really excited by it and really inspired by it and if I have to work in a bar or I have to do you know a bit of nine-to-five that's that's okay I'd, I'd rather yeah. do that than, than put all of that put my creative energy into something that I know is is not really going to satis satisfy me thanks Paul it's been fantastic talking to you uh, that's it for this episode of In Lockdown With uh, looking forward to to um, next episode, uh, we've got Gethin Evans uh, on the next episode. He's the director of Ron Wen. Look forward to speaking to them. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of In Lockdown With. The podcast is written, produced, and curated by me, Kieran Fitzgerald. Thank you to all my guests for taking the time to appear on the show. If you enjoyed this episode of In Lockdown With, please consider liking or subscribing on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And I'll see you next time for another interview.